Hey, Fidelity, can I get a second opinion on stocks in the Fidelity app? With Fidelity, it's easy to get an outside opinion from independent experts in a single score. And then? When you're ready, trade U.S. stocks and ETFs with no commissions. That's right. I am always right. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Sell order assessment fee not included. A limited number of ETFs are subject to a transaction-based service fee of $100. See full list at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Mike Santoli. Kramer has the morning off. Dow set for a record high at the open. Needs about 92 points. As there's bullish news on the vaccine in this fresh Pfizer data, jobless claims down a touch. Uh, some rate stabilization, too, on this one-year anniversary of the pandemic. Our roadmap begins with the rally rolling on. Big tech leading the way. The Dow does look to add to its record. Plus, controlling COVID renewed optimism as new Pfizer data supports vaccine efficacy and Vera Biotech's antibody therapy moves towards emergency use. We're also going to talk about Verizon's $53 billion purchase of Spectrum. It is, of course, making a huge bet on the expansion of 5G around the country. CEO Hans Vestberg will join us later in the hour, Carl. All right, guys, uh, unpack a pretty interesting morning, obviously coming off uh, pretty good action, David. Uh, headlines that are feeding multiple engines of optimism this morning. We mentioned the Pfizer sound uh, with, uh, with Borla on Squawk Box and this Israeli real-world data. In addition, stimulus bill goes to the president. And although the Lagarde story is a little more choppy, uh, clearly uh, some dry powder over at the ECB having an impact today, too. Yeah, a lot of different things to keep track of. As you said, you also mentioned claims coming in a bit better than had been anticipated, which is good news. And of course, Mike, the focus will continue to be on the $1.9 trillion relief bill, as they like to term it, but is pouring an enormous amount of money into the economy. And we've seen GDP numbers stretch into the over 6% range for 2021. What that's going to mean for the stock market, and perhaps as importantly and certainly linked to it, what it will mean for the bond market continues to be a key focus. Those auctions have suddenly become a focus. I guess the 10-year went okay yeah. yesterday. We got a 30-year auction today, I believe, as well. Yes, we do. And, you know, the, the, a couple of weeks ago, just that real poor seven-year uh, Treasury auction got everybody clenched up in advance of all the auctions to come. Yesterday was roughly a non-event. Obviously, bond yields sort of calmed down. They've, they've paused here, uh, at least in their, in their March higher. And that's the only real known thing I think people are very concerned about in terms of uh, a side effect of this tremendous growth momentum everybody sees ahead. Uh, you know, one of the implications, too, is what it has meant for the path of corporate profits. You know, you can kind of tick off a lot of the things you might have been worried about in the last couple of months, one of which is maybe general valuations look too stretched. Well, actually, the S&P 500 is less expensive on forward earnings than it was in June of last year, nine months ago, even though the market itself is up, you know, 22 percent since then, because earnings estimates have come up to that degree. And I think the shake out that we had is 5% high to low in the S&P. And if you were really concerned about the overheated parts of the market, whether it was SPACs or cloud stocks or all the story stocks or anything, they did get a big, pretty severe haircut up to 20%. Even semis and software went down that much. So I think it's sort of, you know, the market has kind of regrouped, sentiment has moderated, and here we are, you know, kind of a whisper from an all-time high crawl in the S&P as well. 
Yep, and we'll talk more about the reopening play. There's plenty of news in autos today, uh, mobility and airlines. But this Pfizer data is really interesting. It's a real-world study in Israel um, finding that uh, 94% efficacy in preventing asymptomatic infection, as Meg Terrell said earlier this morning, uh, truly astounding numbers. 80% of those tested involved uh, the uh, one of the U.K. variants. Um, you're 44 times more likely... Yeah they say, to develop symptomatic COVID if you were not vaccinated. Uh, Borla has an open letter. He says we're, uh, he says we're, that liberation, in his words, is on the horizon. And he elaborated on that with uh, Meg and the gang on Squawk this morning. Here's what he said. I will tell you in full honesty what I'm telling to my relatives or my, my family, but they're asking me what to do. And I tell them, if you, get, uh, if you try to get an appointment for a Pfizer vaccine and uh, the sender will give it to you, in two months, and you can get uh, an appointment for another vaccine, let's say, say, let's say this week, I urge you go and do the Zenzay vaccine. It's very important. So the president, David, is going to address the nation tonight on this one-year anniversary of the WHO declaring it a pandemic. Uh, the other good news, of course, is the doubling of purchases of the J&J vaccine with the help of Merck. Uh, Biden's expected to talk about that. Really, the only wrinkle this morning on the vaccine front is AstraZeneca and these reports of Denmark and Norway uh, halting administration of that vaccine on some fears of blood clots. Um, but we will see. In general, the vaccine trajectory of the, of the news is pretty good today. It's been a good week, really, when you think about it. I mean, even starting with the antiviral news that we f- covered earlier in the week, uh, because those will continue to be potentially a very important therapeutic should they be uh, approved. And Merck has actually uh, moved on that. Yeah, yesterday, you may have seen Ken Frazier, uh, CEO of Merck, Alex Gorski, of course, CEO of J&J, talking about their uh, collaboration, their partnership for production. Um, uh, as well, uh, being able to meet those goals uh, in terms of producing that J&J vaccine. And, uh, and Mike, and then you just get to the basics, which is, I mean, if you're 44 more times likely to develop symptomatic COVID-19 if you don't get a vaccine, one would expect that would be a motivating factor to get one, not to mention 29 times more likely to die from it if you don't get a vaccine. Uh, people are getting them, uh, and we can only hope that that pace continues to, uh, to quicken. Yeah, and, and you know, it's another thing that's sort of locking into place. It's making it very tough uh, to feel as if, um, you know, that, that people are wrong about their optimism for the economy and, and the market. So just too much in the way of good news momentum. And also consider the fact that we got, you know, jobless claims this morning. Uh, better than expected, but still more than 4 million continuing jobless claims. So at the same time, everybody is very, very confident, increasingly confident about how much of an acceleration we'll get economically, how much consumers are going to be just prepared to spend in a very big way through savings and fiscal support. Uh, You have the Fed focused on 4 million unemployed. And the Fed wanting to get that down and get the unemployment rate way back to to full employment levels. And both those things uh, kind of supporting the same view that this economy is going to be allowed to run hot. The only thing that would restrain it from an asset uh, investment perspective is a disorderly rise in yields. And that's why it's been, you know, when bond yields paused, it allowed the tech stocks to to kind of take the lead in this rotational uh, action. I do think also some of the cyclical stuff got maybe a little bit uh, overdone and extended in in recent weeks. That's also had a chance to cool off. So it's tough to it's tough to really um, argue with where (laughs) we are uh, in the markets, even if it seems like all the good news is pretty well acknowledged. And often that's the time when you say, well, we have an all in moment. Uh, Is that a reason to be worried? But not really. Yeah. But Mike, I mean, listen, 
listen, you, you know, I hate to ask you about Tesla, which I know yeah. you talk about. I don't even know how many times a day you're forced to discuss it, but uh, I always like to listen. Um, but because it is a reflection in so many ways of the growth trade in this market, um, uh, you know, I referenced this morning Mizuho, not a particularly uh, necessarily a, uh, known as uh, the greatest research firm. <laughs> no offense to them, but ouch, yeah, ouch. sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but they come out this morning, Carl, you've seen it. We'll sure we'll talk about it. Tesla, 100 year yep. disruptor. Uh, it's obviously a buy. Uh, and Neo as well. Now, Tesla, I just always like to look, Mike, at where they get their $775 price target is 10.8 times fiscal year 23 sales. For Neo, they're actually only down to a multiple of, uh, what is it, 5.1 times fiscal year 23 sales. Yeah. You know, sometimes I, rem- I, I people get mad, you know, reminiscent of the late 90s yeah. where analysts, whatever you need to do to justify a price target, you do. Um, I just wanted to get your take no, on that. And has it, as it relates overall, of course, to what we've seen with, with Tesla now down 5% for the year, but having been up a lot during the course of this week. Yeah, I mean, and yet, how much is it down from a tie, right? So it hit 900 for a minute uh, in January. Uh, and so it seems as if uh, what we do is go in these cycles of feeling like everyone got a little bit too overexcited. And there's no doubt that there's a lot of aggressive targets out there. You know, the fact that we're talking about, you know, the going rate for these newly public companies is 20, 25 times revenues. The SPACs are talking about five year out, uh, you know, revenue uh, outlooks that, you know, they don't have to necessarily be held to. And that's what we're about. Yes, there's a lot of real aggressive, uh, maybe irrational stuff happening. But I also feel like that's a bull market acting like a bull market. And there's always stuff uh, that seems like it's getting out of hand, Carl. Um, Guys, we mentioned ECB earlier. Uh, Interesting um, mix of news on that front. Steve Leisman, of course, has been covering jobless claims and what Lagarde is saying this morning. Morning, Steve. Morning, Carl. Yeah, let me uh, take these off uh, tick by tick here. Uh, I want to talk about what Lagarde said and then have the, how the market reacted this morning. Uh, first, the ECB came out and said uh, it was concerned about the rise in, in yields out there that, that would lead to tightening financial conditions. As a result, it's going to tighten, uh, sorry, increase or accelerate the pace of its purchases under its pandemic emergency purchase program. Uh, Lagarde saying that uh, an unchecked rise in bond yields could lead to premature tightening. She's going to monitor the exchange rate as well for any impact on inflation and stands ready to use all the instruments. The market took the statement initially as uh, pretty dovish and yields fell, uh, fell around the world as well. Uh, but then they came back when Lagarde started started talking. Um, I'm just wondering, guys, if you looked at a two-day chart of the 10-year, we did have a decline in yields. There was some anticipation of the ECB doing this in markets. So perhaps that's what's going on here, a little sell on the news, uh, and, and that the anticipation of Lagarde acting. And of course, one of the things that's interesting here is whether or not to put some pressure on Powell to act. Uh, Powell has pretty much said straight up he's not doing anything about the recent rise in yields. But now that Lagarde has acted, of course, there are very different outlooks here on the economy. Lagarde saying this morning the, US, uh, the European economy expected to contract in the first quarter. And you'll remember, Carl, we're looking at around, I don't know, six, six and a half percent for the first quarter here in the U.S. Carl? Yeah, indeed. Uh, would be a massive number, um, Steve. Uh, I guess we'll talk more about uh, what she says as the press conference continues, but clearly a good slew of headlines uh, coming out of ECB this morning. Um, uh, David, we'll talk about sort of the larger picture, too. We were mentioning earlier the uh, the macro front regarding the vaccine and so forth. It's actually manifesting itself in some pretty interesting uh, sell-side calls. I'm looking at a couple here this morning. 
Uh, one is on DR Horton. JP Morgan says absent an incremental 50 to 75 basis point rise in rates over the next few months that they think demand would be fairly strong in the housing sector, double digit earnings uh, through at least 2022. So that playbook of fading home builders here getting challenged a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, listen, it's still historically incredibly low rates. Things have slowed a little bit, I guess, uh, in terms of new mortgages, I believe. I haven't listened to the, cl- the, the latest numbers from Diana Olick, uh, but you can see D.R. Horton shares, Mike, have been a place to be this year, uh, yep. as has much of that group to a, to a large extent. They all have. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that it's another one of those areas where uh, the charts look great. Uh, the bull case is obvious and broadly agreed upon. And so you wonder if it's time to say that it's all priced in. These are not necessarily the greatest of businesses over the course of an entire business cycle, really. Um, but yet when things are, you know, the tailwinds are, are, are blowing, they do great. And, um, you know, yeah, yields can go up. You have affordability issues. You have supply issues. But that all kind of works in favor of the newly built home. So uh, it's very difficult to, to sort of take the other side. It's also a relatively small part of kind of consumer discretionary in the overall market and people feel like it's the one uh, that they can really bet on, Carl. Coming up, guys, shares of Veer Biotechnology are soaring today on uh, news involving the COVID antibody treatment that it's developing with Glaxo. The CEO is going to join us in the next hour. We got uh, calls on, as we said, Horton, Goodwin on Costco, uh, J.P. Morgan, Steve Tusa on GE, and, of course, some earnings from the likes of AMC, Bumble, and Oracle. Futures are green. Looking for a record high on the Dow at the Open. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. As we mentioned earlier, this morning marks the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization declaring COVID-19 an international pandemic. Ever since then, it's been all hands on deck to develop a vaccine. Dr. Anthony Fauci remembers the first time he heard news about the Pfizer vaccine. Here he is in his own words. I was um, outside in the backyard with my mask on (laughs) of a friend's home. And I got my my cell phone went off and I got up and I took it because, you know, the people who have my cell phones are, are people who, who I should probably talk to. <laughs> so I got up and I went outside into the street and it was uh, Albert Bourla, who is the CEO of Pfizer. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but the results are absolutely amazing. I said, what do you mean amazing? You know, I thought he was going to say, well, you know, it's amazing, 78%. He 
He said it's well over 90%. And it was like, oh my goodness gracious. It was sort of like the, a bright ray of sun pushing all the clouds away. The good news is that science that has given us the vaccines that we have, have been a spectacular success story. As much as the outbreak is historic, so has been the vaccine response. Never in anybody's imagination would you have thought that in less than a year from the time you identified the virus, you would actually have doses of vaccine that was 94 to 95% effective going into somebody's arm. So, you know, historic outbreak and historic scientific accomplishments matching against each other. Let's, let's see who wins. Fascinating uh, series of developments out of that initial phase of innovation, Mike. You know, there's so many stories we'll be talking about for years, the revolution in uh, MR and RNA technology, but also logistics. Uh, you know, the White House had a goal of doing 100 million vaccinations in 100 days. As it turns out, it looks like they're probably going to get that done in about half that time. Yeah, uh, you know, it's definitely good to, I guess, remind ourselves that it was if not when in terms of having a highly effective vaccine back then and uh, and really how it just turned the whole equation around. And the fact that now we're, you know, getting a little bit of, uh, you know, of momentum in terms of implementation. If you look back at that Pfizer Monday when those uh, the data were were first released, uh, that's the moment when we had this whole shift that we talk about right now, just people pouring into the stuff about the the, re the economy is going to uh, essentially come roaring back versus let's hide in the big software stocks. And, you know, November 9th is, is pretty much that day. Of course, we kind of peaked in the enthusiasm there for a minute. But uh, basically, that, that proved to be uh, roughly a turning point, David. Yeah, although not necessarily for Pfizer stock. Which no. I think every time I mention it, they get upset. But when you take a look at that 20-year, despite what are incredible accomplishments, incredible, as, uh, as Anthony Fauci uh, makes clear. Guys, of course, you got to go back only a year, or not only, but a year, uh, to this day, Mike, when we were down, what, almost 6% in the S&P, followed by a almost 10% drop in the S&P. That was one year ago. As we neared the, uh, what, of course, we didn't know at the time, we're going to be uh, the, the bottom. Yeah, uh, it was definitely, uh, the action was, you know, the rules don't apply. We don't know, you know, exactly how to handicap a global economic shutdown, and we didn't. Um, what's really remarkable is we're going to start to, in the next week and two, uh, get into these unbelievable year-over-year -year percent changes, right? Just obviously cosmetics. It's just the calendar rolling the way it rolls. But uh, it's not often that you have the overall market up 60, 70 percent on a one-year basis as you come into the end of a quarter, as you have people considering very long-term money, figuring, what does that mean for how I want to be navigating this cycle? So that's why I think a lot of people have looked at this idea. Oh, S&P gets to 4,000 the very moment we we have the anniversary of 4,000 or thereabouts. As soon as we get to the anniversary of that cataclysmic low, and maybe that's a time to stop and, uh, and reassess. Uh, so I do think that's something uh, to keep in mind. The comeback, so much faster than anybody thought it would. Uh, and, you know, markets, V-bottoms used to be rare, and, and basically uh, people said don't count on it. They've actually become the last couple of major sell-offs the way that the market works. Now, I probably just jinxed it, Carl. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Still to come, though, right here, we're going to have a lot to talk about with Verizon CEO Hans Vestberg. Of course, this is the morning after a company's investor meeting where they talked about why they spent $53 billion on C-band spectrum. He will join us a bit later in the hour. Don't go anywhere. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. 
At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Tesla's going to lead your S&P gainers pre-market. Uh, David did mention the initiation out of Mizuho this morning. Uh, the initiate buy, target 775, but also some uh, stories on the wires about Tesla raising the prices of the Y, the 3, the S, by about $10,000, uh, citing the Tesla website. Looks to gain about 4.5% at the open. More squawk on the street than the opening bell in a moment. We mentioned Tesla being an S&P leader uh, pre-market before the break, Mike. Looking at uh, NDX components for the week to date, Tesla's number one, um, along with a lot of other names that are familiar, like the Pelotons and the DocuSigns. It's really still a lingering skepticism over semiconductors that's been uh, the drag this week. It has been a drag. Uh, That's been pretty pronounced. And you have to, you know, acknowledge the fact that if you were saying when semis lead, it's great for the market on the way up. You know, when they give some back, it's it's something to to take uh, pause and notice. Obviously, uh, big tech, if you want to talk about fang type stuff, has done very little since Labor Day. uh, But they have sort of looked better on a relative value basis. And now when the yields come down, the question is, is this going to be something sustainable with the Nasdaq being able to lead? It's not clear that it has to be all about yields. It has been recently. And you mentioned the docu signs and and pelotons and uh, and other names that just seem completely associated with you know the pandemic economy the stuff that was beaten down the most roared back the most on Tuesday. Massive amount of oversold conditions and short covering. So that makes sense on a very short-term frame. The bigger question is whether the market as a whole becomes a little more integrated in terms of growth and value. You can do what they do. It's not always a, a one or the other uh, type market, which, is, you know, it has been uh, for some time right now. But final point is, you know, when Tesla comes back, when the animal spirits start to get brimming again, and they are, as we've seen uh, in some of the small names, some of the recent IPOs as well, uh, David. Yeah. Uh, something else we're going to keep a close eye on today, of course, Yesterday, it was Roblox with uh, its direct listing uh, going public. Today, it's Coupon, the uh, uh, South Korean e-commerce company. It's the largest offering by a foreign company since Alibaba. They're raising $4.6 billion, uh, selling shares at 35 a share, $130 million worth of them. Uh, and we will be keeping a close eye on those shares when they uh, do open. You may have seen the CEO and founder joining Andrew uh, Sorkin this morning, assiduously avoiding many of his questions, but doing quite a good job in, <laughs> in doing so, I would say, Carl. But uh, it's an important, impressive company with 91 percent top line growth and another potential win for the Vision Fund. It wasn't that long ago, I guess a year or more now at this point, where we were talking about the Vision Fund and what had seemingly been a, a number of failures on its part, not so any longer for SoftBank, which will own 35 percent of Coupang, at least at the time of this public offering. Um, Mike, you mentioned uh, names that are closely associated with the pandemic. Costco uh, definitely is one of them. Uh, Wells comes out uh, and tries its best to defend it, saying uh, the return to pre-pandemic levels seems to imply that Costco keeps none of the upside, which seems wrong to us. In fact, the title of the report is, shouldn't at least some of the COVID benefits stick? And they go to overweight uh, 370. Uh, It will be interesting, as uh, we've already seen some 
uh, guidance on comps from the likes of Campbell's that this year obviously is going to be it's going to be tough to match last year. It will fit without a doubt, and it was it was unusual the way Costco really got punished as as much as it did. It's a premium name with a premium valuation, so that also probably is it. Also, it's a company that doesn't try to maximize margins, right? So if costs are going up, maybe they're not going to uh, get the full benefit of that if labor costs and things like that. So could be also weighing on a cost. Yeah, uh, has been a quite a dramatic decline for Costco. There's the opening bell uh, at the uh, New York Stock Exchange and the uh, NASDAQ. At the big board, it's a Korean e-commerce giant, Coupang, as David said, celebrating its IPO, uh, the largest this year. And at the NASDAQ, it's the Landos Biopharma uh, doing the honors. Speaking of IPOs, or in this case, a direct listing, uh, Roblox, David, uh, I think overall considered a generally successful first day as the market cap got to... $45 billion, and I noticed that Kathy Wood's ARC did snap up some shares yesterday. That's interesting. That's funny. I didn't get my readout on everything they bought uh, at ARC, of course, which is something the market now follows so closely. You can see, though, following uh, uh, the back of uh, that with uh, at least right now up another 8%. We'll watch it, though, Mike. There tends to be a lot of volatility in day two trading of, of uh, recent listings. In this case, again, a direct listing. They did not raise uh, new capital. They had been recently valued as much as $30 billion in a private placement not very long ago, but uh, far beyond that right now. And again, we'll also keep an eye on shares of, uh, of coupon and watch uh, that open today. Um, did guys did want to get to Oracle uh, and see how that's opening because there was a revenue miss there. Uh, numbers were up. Uh, revenues were up 3 uh, percent to $10.1 billion. Cloud services license support revenues up 5 percent. Uh, but didn't Mike seem to be good enough to meet at least the analyst estimates? A couple of downgrades this morning as well. Um, they do increase the buyback by another $20 billion, but uh, it can sometimes be a bellwether. Yeah, what, what's interesting is that Oracle, along with the other what you would call cheap value type legacy tech stocks like HP, like IBM, like Cisco, had actually been very strong in, the re- in recent weeks as the high multiple growth stuff went the other way. So it did you know, have this great run. Wall Street Journal heard on the street said, guess what? The hottest new tech stock is called Oracle. And so I think that's one of the reasons you're getting some give back now, because the mood has changed. We you know, kind of repriced a little bit in terms of valuation. It's still inexpensive, but it's also low growth. Uh, so it's more of a cash flow, return of capital type story, as opposed to let's get excited about what's happening this year, even though you know, cloud uh, exposed businesses are doing uh, doing well. And, and so it's almost back to the norm right now. If we're if we're, if we're buying the Teslas uh, and all of a sudden let's look around cloud to see what's been punished too much. Uh, you're, you're probably going to be selling Oracle on the other side of that call. Yeah, uh, the cloud the cloud revenue number uh, was a tad disappointing there. Guys, um, quite a bit of news in uh, aviation. Not only did we see Boeing's uh, order uh, flow go positive earlier in the week, David, as you well know, American with that uh, capital raise of ten billion Amazing. plus. That's going to be the largest ever for an airline. And then Southwest, uh, the Max is um, is not only back in service uh, at Love, but also these reports that they are close with Boeing uh, to a fresh order. What would be the biggest order for the Max since the grounding on a week where Boeing, David, actually put out a a release. Uh, reiterating uh, apologies uh, for those crashes. And I think Ken Feinberg is going to start administering uh, some um, compensation to victims or families of victims. Uh, yeah, Boeing shares are higher this morning, as we see. That, that offering from American, uh, debt offering, was truly amazing. Uh, just sort of showing the, 
the ability of these capital markets to soak up whatever you're bringing. I think, what was it, five and a half percent is sort of on the on, I think, the five year. I'm not sure. I got to go over the numbers again uh, specifically, Mike, but it was extraordinary. Um, I would mention, by the way, speaking of aviation, GE shares not showing much of anything uh, one day after the announcement, of course, of that uh, um, sale of its GCAS unit to, uh, to Aircat. They're going to own 46 percent of the combined company, but it's selling off. Now, remember, it did move up uh, based on reports of the potential deal, but it's given back everything at this point, I think, has a GE. Of course, we think about aviation. We do think about that name. Mike, and then there's the one for eight reverse stock split, too, which I guess at some point will take effect. Yeah. um, And, you know, GE took back three years worth of stock declines in a few months. So I think you have to kind of draw draw out the angle a little bit on that on that chart and see where it came from. And so it's not too surprising. You, know, you have this somewhat expected or handicapped sale. The reverse stock split's an interesting idea. I mean, people say, what's the point? Why do we want to do this? I always feel like we don't give enough weight to what the CEO is trying to signal to the employee base and trying to have a fresh start and trying to set new uh, kind of mental markers of what achievement is. I remember when um, after after Steve Jobs, Tim Cook split Apple shares and they split it to a level that would make the former high in the stock 100. Right. So it had gone below 700. I think it was a seven for one split. And so it's almost just sort of a, it just rewires everyone's brain as, as opposed to anchoring GE stock on back when it was at 60 or whatever price uh, employees have. it. So on that basis, who knows, maybe it makes sense. And plus, uh, it's going the other way because we used to be in this sort of high share price fetish. And, and maybe we've come away from that a little bit with uh, with Tesla and Apple splitting again. Yeah. Last year. Guys, quick yeah. promo from uh, me. Just it, uh, Carl. Sorry. Ed, Ed Garden, of course, board member of GE. Uh, co-founder and CIO of Tryan, which is a large shareholder there, will will join us in the next hour. Will join me in the next hour as well. Certainly going to talk to him about a lot of things, but including GE, given uh, given uh, he's of course uh, a key part of helping uh, oversee that strategy as a member of the board. Carl. Yeah, uh, make sure you mention this new note out of uh, Steve Tusa today, which we'd probably talk about with Jim if he were here, reiterating the $5 target, saying we're always interested in debating creative some of the part valuation, but there are no longer uh, capital assets around, which sell-side bulls can argue there's enough value equity to support related debt. Uh, Tusa says we see material downside from here. Uh, So we got a record high on the Dow. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. Indeed, the record high is not lost on the Treasury complexes. Yields kind of do a U-turn. Look at an intraday of tens. Uh, yes, uh, we, we moved a bit lower, but now we're coming back. And you may ask, you know, what was the issue that pushed yields lower there? It certainly wasn't the claims data. As a matter of fact, you know, we made some progress on initial and continuing claims. But as we discussed this morning, if you looked at the Pandemic Emergency Assistance Program, it was up 1.1 million. I believe it's now just shy of eight and a half million. That's a post-pandemic high. And of course, that doesn't get released with our normal initial and continuing claims since it's in a special category, but nonetheless, every bit as important. Now, if you look at the boond on top of tens, now you have your answer. Boon yields dropped, we dropped. Boon yields started to come back. We came back with a vengeance. And was there any significant change to the ECB? Well, Christine Lagarde is going to alter maybe the intensity of the buyback program without actually expanding the buyback program called PEP. But do keep in mind, it's really about looking at rates and if it starts to trade much 
under minus 30, it seems that bugs the ECB a bit. Remember, we're not really looking at risk versus reward on any of the interest rates on all the sovereigns. We're basically looking at managed rates, or as Jim Graham pointed out uh, recently uh, on the Squawk Box show, that if you look at the U.S. tenure, it's sort of a corrupted rate. Uh, It really doesn't reflect the type of risk that one may take in the grand scheme of things, considering where rates are. Now, let's look at the 30-year, because we have 24 billion of them up for auction today at 1 Eastern. And if you go back to Christmas area of 2019, what you'll see is we've gone from basically the highest level since the end of 2019 into more of a consolidation mode. And by the way, not only 24 billion at 30s, we'll also have a big Verizon deal. It's coming in. Right now, it's considered 20 billion, threes, fives, sevens, tens, twenties, thirties, and forties, and orders may reach as high as 50 billion, which would mean we're going to be looking at two and a half times potentially a bid to cover ratio. So we want to pay attention to all the supply. And finally, what's going on with the euro considering the ECB's uh, announcements this morning? Well, it's actually starting to do better. Look at a one week of the euro versus dollar, and it is the main reason the dollar index is under pressure today. David, back to you. Thank you, Rick. And so glad you mentioned Verizon, of course, and that large bond offering, because uh, they're going to use the proceeds of that to pay the U.S. government the $53 billion for the C-band. We're going to talk to Hans Vestberg, uh, the company's CEO, all about that in just a few moments. Stay with us. On pace for the Dow's fifth straight gain, on pace for five positive weeks in a row and a record high this morning. Not so much on the back of industrials or banks, but mega cap tech. Uh, There's Apple, Salesforce, Microsoft, uh, followed not too far behind by names like Intel. Take a break here. Be back in a moment. Verizon last night giving further details into those results from the FCC's C-band auction of Spectrum at its investor meeting, revealing it spent a total of $53 billion for those Spectrum licenses. Joining us now, first on CNBC, is Hans Vestberg, the chairman and CEO of Verizon. Hans, great to have you. Uh, you said in your opening remarks last evening, uh, as you entered into your investor day, so to speak, that uh, it was one of the most significant days in the history of Verizon, in the 20 years since the modern-day Verizon was created. Why, why is that? Now, for seven reasons. I mean, of course, we have had some really big moments in Verizon. Of course, the formation 20 years ago. I think also when we bought out uh, Vodafone for some five, six years ago. And I think this is another of those moments where we are extending our leadership and just uh, pulling away. And, and of course, adding this spectrum, the C-band spectrum, to our overall strategy and to our millimeter wave. Of course, we're going to delight our customers, and that's why we also talked about that we can accelerate our growth, we can accelerate our business cases, and we can amplify our business cases. So it's a huge day for our company and for our shareholders. Yeah. Uh, Well, you talk about amplifying your growth, and you did give some targets uh, that do show revenue guidance accelerating, I think, 2% this year, and then 3%, and then 2%, but then to 4%. Give me some details on how you get there, Hans. Is Is it adding more subscribers, or is it really bringing more people up to basically paying you more for your premium 5G service. 
David, you know we have talked about this for a long time, you know. We have the network of service in the bottom where we basically are orchestrating service for all our customers. And we have several vectors of growth. I mean, one is, of course, the, the 5G adoption, both the uh, fixed wireless access now for the 5G home, but also 5G mobility. But then we have the network monetization where we work with the, our MVNO partners. And then we have the enterprise business that now is also benefiting from the C-band when we do the mobile edge compute that we have talked about before. And finally, we have this mix and match that we have done before with our partnership with Disney+, Plus, with Apple, with the best brands in the market. And finally, we are targeting new markets. I mean, some of them are we already have with the Visible brand, and we have this pending acquisition of TrackPhone for the prepaid market. So all in all, we have now some five vectors of growth, and all are in play with this acquisition of the C-band. I see. But, you know, I, I just wonder, is there a way to understand how much of the three or four percent growth you're talking about coming pretty soon is is new services, you know, wireless home broadband or uh, self-driving cars, as opposed to just the continued, uh, you know, getting more revenue out of a mature wireless market? I think we get from the base, first of all, we, we compete very effectively in the base and we talked about in the fourth quarter how more and more customers are taking unlimited and unlimited premium. But then of course it's new markets, the fixed wireless market. We can now play broadband nationwide and that's why we also increased our targets for uh, ho- household past and we're going to have 15 million this year and 2023 we're going to have 30 million and, and then up to 50 million households uh, uh, sort of penetrated with our footprint. So that's a new market. And then the 5G mobile edge compute, which is basically bringing the cloud to the edge of the network. It's also a new market. We are actually defining the market because we're the only one offering that service. All of that are helping our, uh, our, our plus 3% growth that we're going to have the years to come. And uh, we, we feel really good about it. We feel good about the strategy we've had for a couple of years right now. And this is just amplifying and accelerating everything we have. So And that's what we're conveying to our shareholders. Yeah. Uh, Well, you're going to need to to pay all that interest on those bonds that you're offering. Apparently, a lot of people want to own them, of course, to pay for uh, for much of this. Um, You know, when it comes to the building of the network, and this is something we've talked about a lot, I think you're saying that, that you're not going to need more densification for this new spectrum. And by that, basically, we mean, you know, adding more cell sites. Now, your competitors say that's nonsense. Uh, T-Mobile, for example, is quoted as saying their engineers estimate it will require 50 percent more cell sites for meaningful and continuous coverage. And in some areas, for example, in building, the required densification could even be four times higher for two and a half gigahertz. How do you respond to that from your competitor? I think we responded clearly yesterday that uh, we, are, you, we have the most dense network already. We have the best 4G network in the nation. This, the mid-band that we are buying is the best uh, mid-band spectrum in the market because it's contiguous, it's not a lot of holes, and, and of course, it's also the ecosystem for the world. This is the spectrum that the world is using for roaming, for handsets, for infrastructure. So that's why we can also say that with the growth we're going to have, we can follow with our, uh, with our EBITDA and our EBITDA bit as well, that they can follow suite uh, with, the, with the growth we have. So we feel really good about the, the build. And, and, you know, Spectrum is one thing. We have the best network and we have the best engineers in the world. Right. It's a reason why the, the last 20 years we have been uh, sort of awarded basically all the awards we can get for our network. And so we, we, we know that. Engineers. We, right. But, I, but again, back to this point of, of more cell sites. You're saying you're not going to need to add them because obviously that would increase cost. No. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's why, and that's why we talked about yesterday right. because we are already very dense in our network, and that's why okay. we cover most people in the nation with our four G network. Right. Um, I want to get back to uh, you know uh, pricing and everything else. You, I think you said that as many as fifty percent of your subscribers you expect will be on your pr- premium unlimited plan by 2023. And I think you're sort of in the low 20 percent right now. That's a big move. What is going to motivate that kind of movement in terms of up to as much as half to your premium plan over the next couple of years, Hans? Uh, we were we have been encouraged the last year what we have seen. I mean, we said in the fourth quarter, new all new net additions in the fourth quarter, and basically 90 percent of it took unlimited. So uh, we with the compelling offering we have, both with the best network, but also with the offerings we have and the partnerships we have created and the mix and match where you as a family can pick whatever uh, uh, sort of plan you want. That we have shown that we can grow with these customers uh, into those different plans and we give them more value. So that's why we're convicted over that and we're committed to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the subject of, of C-band spending, uh, the FCC, I think, just scheduled another auction for early October of 100 uh, megahertz additional mid-band spectrum. Is that something Verizon would play in, or are you done? Uh, So first of all, I have to say, we we have now the best spectrum position in the market, so we're very happy with that. But as I said so many times before, we will always evaluate new spectrum coming out compared to more densification or other software coming in. So what is the best way to deal with the growth of of data we'll have? But uh, I have to say, with the position we have right now, with the network, with the team, with the go-to-market, with the new services, and with the spectrum position, I think we are in an extremely good position to extend our lead in this market. right. Uh, changing course a little bit, you have some interesting perspective here into some of these streaming services, because, of course, you partnered with Disney and with Discovery uh, in terms of helping them roll out their direct to consumer. Um, I'm curious, what are you seeing in terms of Verizon customers willingness to take Discovery Plus? I know Disney Plus was quite successful. And are they are they different consumers or, you know, how do they sort of differ? And, and what are your expectations for those rollouts? So first of all, this is our strategy. We have a network of service, we have the best distribution, and we have a great brand. And that's why we can partner with these fantastic companies like Disney and Discover. Uh, we revealed, as you know, in the fourth quarter that uh, more than two-thirds of our, of, of our uh, freemium customers start to paying for Disney+. Plus. It's unheard of. And I think that is what we are bringing to the table to these customers. And we're making money on it, and Disney as well. Discovery need to talk about how they are progressing, but we are very happy with that partnership as well. Uh, and it's just adding in. And I think that what you're going to see in the future is, of course, this optionality for our consumers, that they will have different streaming services. And uh, we think that could be t- up to three to four different streaming services easily. And that's what you see in the market. And that's where you see the uptake. And we are the right. natural and best partner to these guys. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to keep an eye on those discovery numbers because that stock has moved up very strongly and perhaps on the hopes for that. You know, you mentioned, of course, all the streaming services. Home broadband is certainly a real possibility. Um, but you still have a cable company essentially embedded in you, Fios TV. What's the future of that? I mean, you know, you got to have truck rolls. You got to keep people's boxes up to date. It can get expensive. Why not just sort of say uh, we're done and maybe sell that asset? 
Uh, if you look at our FIOS, it's just been fantastic the last half year. Our growth the last half year on, on FIOS is the best since we basically started with the FIOS. So, no, no. We're going to have optionality for our customers. And, and as we're building network, we get the edge of the network. We have different type of distribution. Could be 5G, could be millimeter wave, C-band, or it could be the FIOS. And that's what we're giving to our customers. So they, they have the options of different type of broadband uh, possibilities. And remember also, FIOS is, is in, the no, in the northeast for us and that's where we have right. our franchise so that but ultimately now with the c-band and with millimeter wave we can do the full nation of broadband and uh, given the optionality for all the consumers in the market uh, finally hans don't talk too often about your media assets uh, yahoo of course being one of them um, but i do hear if you were able to find a buyer for them you would uh, you would sell them is that true First of all, these guys in Verizon Media Group has done a fantastic job. I mean, we changed the whole business model and the business plan as we started in 2018. They have changed all the products, taken out cost, and we started to grow. And the fourth quarter showed what we have. So I think I'm very pleased with that asset and how the guys have been executing. So we are supporting them. They're part of the family, and they're a very important part of it. All right. It wasn't a no, though. Uh, and finally, you mentioned millimeter wave. Uh, just real quickly, we're almost out of time here. But, I mean, there was a time when I think under Lowell McAdam you were talking about reaching as many as 30 million homes with millimeter wave spectrum. Now you seem to be pairing that back. Is it still really a part of your strategy? Absolutely. We're going to, as we said, we're now accelerating it. So we're actually going to penetrate more households earlier than we said before. And we're going to use all the assets we have to give that opportunity for our customers. And ultimately, that's part of how we can grow. And that's why we believe that we have a goal, good goal trajectory in front of us, millimeter wave, C-band, Fios, all of them. And even 4G, when it comes to home broadband, are we using today. So we're going to use all the assets and the great engineers we have. Uh, Hans, always appreciate your taking time. Uh, that's a big number, 53 billion. The word is, though, your, uh, your bond offering is going very well, you'll be happy to know, as much as 40 billion in demand. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hans Vestberg, Chairman and CEO of Verizon. By the way, we're not done with this topic. Uh, we're lucky enough to also be joined in coming days by John Stanky, uh, the uh, CEO of AT&T. Uh, and Mike Sievert as well, the CEO of T-Mobile. So if you want to get a sense for the competition that is going on here, what they've all spent, of course, on their C-band spectrum, uh, T-Mobile well below what uh, Verizon and AT&T spent, keep it right here at Squawk on the Street. Carl. All right, David, uh, pretty good market action here. NASDAQ's up 1.5%, Boeing 52-week high. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.